Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Uh, today's episode, we're going to be revisiting Plato, so we're moving back into the world of philosophy for this episode. We're going to be, instead of talking about the allegory of the cave, we're going to be talking about a work of Plato that is quite a bit longer and quite a bit more influential. Uh, we're going to be talking about Plato's Republic and some of its influence and some of its strengths and flaws. Uh, Plato's Republic is really one of the oldest um, complete systems of political theory that we have in the Western tradition. Now, there probably were things that were written in earlier times and possibly even in times of, uh, by people who were contemporaries of Plato, but none of those works really survive uh, in the complete form that we have the Republic. The Republic attempts to first start out by figuring out what a just man is, and as the conversation goes to trying to discover what is a just man, they realize that they must first figure out what is a just society, because the behaviors of a man are always going to be determined within the confines of society. And so the work moves from discovering what is the just man to what is the just society. Plato sets up his society from the bottom up, he starts to discuss it, uh, talking about the lower classes and their position and their education. Everything in society should be geared towards educating people to be in the, the position that they're in and to fulfill that position and not to have multiple positions. One of the defects that Plato saw was when you have a person that does many different things. A Baker, for example, should only be a baker, shouldn't be doing farming or carpentry or statecraft or any of those other things. So in Plato's view, you start to see a very modern, um, segmented society in which each person is specialized in their one area. Uh, this is one of the things that you do find in modern society, is that modern society, the more complex it becomes, tends to be more and more specialized. So you're not going to go to your baker and have him extract a tooth, or have him do or her do surgery on you. Your baker is going to be where you get your bread. Your surgeon will be where you get your surgery. Your dentist will be where you get your dental work, uh, and so forth. So this starts to set up really the ideas about modern society, and it starts to set it up in a way that can be used in secular or religious terms. Uh, a lot of the ways that societies were based prior to Plato's Republic um, had a lot to do with religious writings, uh, poetry, the plays, the uh, religious uh, stories and dramas that basically enforce the way that society should be set up. In Plato's Republic, he attempts to use reason to set up the society. He tries to come up with what would be the perfect society, and then how do we get to that society as far as education. Now, the problem with Plato's society is that he doesn't really give you a discussion of how to get from where the ancient Greeks were to where they need to be. He just sort of sets up the society. This is something that is often done in philosophy and in science. You kind of set up the ideal, and then you logically deduce all of the parts, and you work it out. Uh, this is a very 
beneficial exercise, but this can also be a very frustrating exercise if you're unable to figure out how do you get from where you are now to where you want to be in this perfect ideal. So you always have to take into consideration the world as it is. Plato wasn't much of a fan of the world as it is. Plato saw the world as it is as being very inferior to the world of forms, the world of perfect ideas. He saw everything as being just a poor copy of the ideal in the, word of, in the world of forms. So every chair is just a poor representation of the ideal form of the chair. Every person is an imperfect copy of the ideal idea of a person in the world of forms. So Plato starts from this place of perfection and sets up his society. Um, as he sets up the society, you have what many people have copied later on. You have everyone starting in the same way, at the same level, and moving up through the education system. And as you go through the education system, you start to have people drop out as they reach the station where they're supposed to be. So you have the people who will be doing manual labor, um, that will be dropping out first. Then you have sort of the more skilled layers of society going a little further. This is very similar to what the education system in Europe is set up, set up to represent, set up to imitate. <clears throat> As you go through society, you have, you moving through the ranks, you have the higher-ups become the guardians and then the um, business class. And at the top of the pyramid, Plato put the philosopher kings. The philosopher kings were the one group he had that were not allowed to own anything. The philosopher kings were not allowed to marry, they were not allowed to have children, they were not allowed to have possessions or money. Uh, this, he said, was to keep them from being corruptible. If they were allowed to own things, they would turn their... Um, talents towards acquiring more and more things, towards acquiring more and more money. If they were allowed to marry and have children, they would turn their um, attention towards how do they pass along their um, position to their children. So one of the things that Plato uh, absolutely thought was essential was that the top class, the philosopher kings, should be living in a, a system of what would be considered communism. Nobody owns everything, every, anything, everything is shared um, among that group. And their needs are taken care of by the people below them. Now as we go through this, you can start to see echoes of what people uh, took later as their power systems, uh, both in religious and secular systems. You know, the church very much, and the church being the Catholic church, of the medieval period uh, very much copies this style and they're very much influenced by Plato and this kind of gives them a reason for stratifying society the way that they did. You had the serfs who were basically the workers who did all the work but didn't own anything. Um, then you have the lower nobility and then the upper nobility and then the um, royalty and the uh, members of the church, the members of the church being the members that were in power in the church, not the congregation. So you set up this system where at the top, 
there is absolute rule. The church and the political powers made the rules absolutely, and everyone underneath had simply to follow those rules. This gets into a lot of difficulty as these two powers start to war against each other. This is not something that Plato really foresaw very much in his Republic. He saw the guardian class and the um, wealthy class as being in harmony with the philosopher kings. He never really got the idea that this would degenerate into a power grab between the two. So during the Middle Ages, you have this fighting back and forth between the church trying to keep ultimate power and secular kings trying to grab some of that power for themselves. Another one of the things that uh, was set forth is the idea that people shouldn't own anything. And this is very much something that is picked up by Karl Marx uh, much later on when he comes up with his uh, communist manifesto and his ideas about his system, uh, communism. Under communism, nobody owns anything. Everybody's supposed to have an equal share. That way you eliminate the power fighting and the um, greed that Marx saw as destroying society. Um, <clears throat> for Marx, this didn't work out very well because he still creates a top-down system. Instead of the philosopher kings at the top, you have the party at the top. And generally that party was in the 20th century and beyond, uh, has been ruled by a single individual who had ultimate authority over everyone else. And the party underneath them sort of was the next layer down. And all of the benefits were flowing to the top and being withheld from the bottom. Another thing that in Plato's Republic he's a strong advocate of is censorship. He felt that everything in education should only be used to, um, to reinforce the ideas of the state, to keep everybody on the same page. And so any kind of uh, writings, especially in his time, the writings of the poets or the playwrights that would contradict that and put other ideas into anyone's head, uh, these things need to be censored. Now this has been taken on by pretty much every society that has followed Marx. Uh, the communist societies did it openly. They openly censored everything that came along. The monarchies that came along, they openly censored anything that they felt was an attack on their power. The um, aristocracy, the church, all of them did this. Even in the capitalist systems, we find the same things going on. Uh, the censorship is not as uh, often overt, but it's still there. One of the ways that it occurs is that there is a rigid control of the education system and of popular media. And by rigid control, I mean simply certain ideas are taught and other ideas are not taught at all, as if they don't exist. Or if they become something that the public becomes aware of, they're taught in a way to make them seem ridiculous. And they're portrayed in ways that seem ridiculous and harmful. Uh, these flaws, um, and they are flaws, with censorship uh, have an effect that Plato never really understood or got into. Uh, censorship 
kills any ability for a society to progress. Now, in Plato's time, he was trying to create a permanent society that would stay the same for all eternity. And one of the things that, as you study history, you realize is there is no system that stays the same. There is nothing in nature, even, that stays the same through all of eternity. Uh, change is a constant in the universe. And this is one of the things that Plato really couldn't get his mind around. And so, in a lot of ways, he uses his world of forms as a way of escaping this and saying, if we can just get this perfect world or get closer to this perfect world, we won't have to deal with all of this horrible change. But change is going to happen regardless of whether you want it to or not. And one of the things that censorship does is it um, it perverts change and holds it back. It makes it um, so that it it doesn't occur naturally. And sometimes as things become outdated and new ways need to be uh, created, the lack of freedom of expression, the censorship, will keep those ideas from being able to come to the forefront. One of the biggest things that basically led to the downfall of especially the Soviet Union was the extreme censorship. Because no one was allowed to think outside of ideas that were the official ideas of the state, anyone who did was persecuted, executed, imprisoned, um, or exiled. And a lot of times these individuals who had the ideas that maybe uh, challenged the state a little bit were your most creative people. These were the people that also could have brought forth the ideas that would have advanced your technologies, that would have advanced your ways of doing things. One of the things that you do when you censor is you kill all of that. You, you can't just censor and hope that it's only going to kill the ideas that harm you because it will also kill the ideas that could help you. Plato's system is also another example of a top-down power system. Top-down power systems, no matter how um, good the idea is at the start, no matter how wonderful the intentions are of those at the top in the beginning, eventually this system starts to break down, because when you have a top-down system, eventually the only thing that becomes important is staying on the top. In order to stay on the top, you actually have to make sure you break down everyone that is beneath you. You have to make sure that they can't rise up too high. And so as you're doing this, you're basically crushing the people that should be driving you forward, that would be driving new ideas, new innovations, moving the society into better places, and you basically have to keep them, uh, keep them suppressed. As this happens, the methods have to become more and more vigorous over time. Um, for power, the only thing that eventually becomes the dominant idea is to stay in power. And to stay in power, you have to keep increasing that power and keep pushing everyone else down. Uh, Plato does bring a lot of benefit, though, because he is someone who kind of puts forward the idea that we need to think about the way things are. We need to challenge uh, the systems and try to see if we can come up with something better. In the Republic, he does do a good job of discussing some of the weaknesses in all of the various uh, 
um, political and economic systems that were uh, out there. One of the things that he challenges, and this is something that people who are in favor of democracy have to answer, is that he saw democracy as always moving towards tyranny. Eventually, you have a small group of powerful people who will control the wealth and control the information enough that the general public will not be able to make good informed decisions and they will be easily led uh, and make those on the top become more and more powerful. And so eventually the people will uh, vote away their own rights and keep voting more and more power to the people at the top because those people seem to be the only ones who can take care of them. And at some point those people at the top are no longer democratic elected officials, they become uh, despots. They become people who have absolute power. And this has happened in many democratic societies. Plato saw it during his own time in Athens as moving in that direction. You know, the Athens of Plato was democratic, but it was democratic and sliding towards um, being a despotic state. The people that had the ability to vote and had the ability to control the ideas of the other people who voted were seizing more and more power for themselves. Uh, we see this again with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was very democratic for its free citizens. But as time went on, the citizens at the top, the people at the top, started becoming more and more powerful until you start ending up with the Caesars uh, and you start to have the Roman Senate kind of dwindling away to nothing. So Plato does make some very good um, criticisms of the different types of systems. I would highly recommend reading The Republic uh, for people who don't like to read as much and would rather listen to things. There are some good audio versions of The Republic that you can listen to. It is a very long work, um, but it is definitely worth uh, going through. And it, it definitely will help you see why a lot of the things we have today are the way they are. You'll start to be able to see different ideas that came out and how they kind of can trace their origins to Plato's Republic. I'm going to end things for now uh, today, and I hope you are all well, and I look forward to speaking to all of you again. Thank you.